you guys have seen Connor. You've, you've heard Connor. You've seen Connor with his iPad before, how he uses it to communicate. He uses it to express his needs to us and sometimes to express his frustrations to us. He also uses his iPad just like a lot of us to entertain himself. He plays games on it. He plays music on it. Lately, he plays Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky over and over again. And I, I don't get sick of that. That's great. I, I'm happy with that. That's a lot better than some of the other songs that he's gotten obsessed with from time to time. But, but like a lot of us, every now and then, Connor puts his iPad down somewhere and we don't know where he left it. And so when that happens, when his iPad is lost, we have buttons. We have an app on our phones and on our iPads and we can push that button and Connor's iPad will start beeping. And then we play Follow the Beep. And we go all over the house and we, we follow the beep and we look for it. And we find the room where the beep is happening and then we have to dig through stuff. Sometimes we dig through the couch. Sometimes it's under the bed. Sometimes it's tucked away someplace. But we find it. We follow the beep and we find Connor's iPad. And when we find it, we rejoice. We relieve. We're happy. We give it to him and he you know, loses it again sometimes. <clears throat> iPads have buttons like that. If it's lost, you, you push the button. But if a person is lost, if a person is spiritually lost, there's, there's no button to make them beep. There's no indicator to tell you where they are. That's not God's plan for lost humanity. Instead, God's plan for lost humanity is it's you and me. Jesus said of Himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And in that statement, we find Jesus' mission in this world. And we find Jesus' mission for the church in this world. We are here to seek and save those who are lost. We are here to seek them and to bring them to Jesus. To bring them to salvation. The problem is, every now and then we forget that. Every now and then we forget that that's our mission. That that's what we're here for, we, we forget all about that. And that was a problem that Jesus encountered, not just today with us, but that was a problem that He encountered with the Pharisees as well. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, verses 1-10. through 10. It's page 874 in those Bibles we have there in the pews. A lot of times we just want to jump right into the parables and look at the story, but I want you to see the setting. Why Jesus told these parables in Luke 15. Verses 1 and 2 provide the setting. <clears throat> it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Did you hear that? They were grumbling. You've read enough of your Bible that I can ask you, does anything good ever come from grumbling? Oh, every time somebody grumbles in the Bible, there's a problem. Every time they grumble, there, there's something goes wrong. And so they're, they're grumbling. And they're grumbling because of two things. First of all, He receives sinners. And secondly, He eats with them. Back in that society, you had to be very careful about who you ate with. There were no restaurants like we have here. There were no diners. There was no convenience store to go to 
if you were going to eat with someone, it meant that you had to either welcome them into your home or be welcomed into their home. To eat with someone was to fellowship with someone. It wasn't just that there's somebody over there at that table that I kind of know. You had to be in fellowship with that person. It was an understanding of, of intimacy and friendship when you ate with someone. The Pharisees grumbled because Jesus did that with sinners. But I don't think that's the whole reason. I think the reason is that the Pharisees had forgotten that people are valuable. They had forgotten that people are valuable to God and people should be valuable to us. And that's why Jesus gives us these parables. Verse 3 continues and it says, So, He told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me! I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, <clears throat> she calls together all her friends and neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus said that He came to seek and save that which was lost. And then the church is called the body of Christ. Christ. Body of Christ, right? So if Jesus said that His mission was to seek and save the lost, and we are the body of Christ, therefore our job is to seek and save the lost. And what Jesus' parables teach us is that the state of being lost does not change the value of that which is lost. When Connor loses his iPad, his iPad suddenly doesn't lose value. It becomes all the more valuable to us. When Connor loses his iPad, it doesn't turn into an Etch-a-Sketch. It's still an iPad. It's just a, a lost iPad. It is still worth one iPad. When a person is lost, they don't suddenly have no value to God. They don't have no value to us or to our community. Being lost doesn't change the value of what is lost. If anything, it's a recognition of the importance of searching for those who are lost. And what Jesus' parable teaches us, what, what both of these parables show us about the lost and about ourselves is that without them, we are incomplete. We are incomplete without those who are lost. We live in a disposable world. Nobody fixes anything anymore. You just, just go buy a new one. There used to be a guy down the road, just a few miles down the road, who if, you, if your TV set was broke, he would fix your TV set. Eventually, he'd get around to fix your TV set. You know, there was a guy that would do that. You, you, and today, our TVs are bigger. I mean, they're, they're, the screens are wider. And, and when they break, uh, we throw them away. We go get a new one. You go buy one of those big flat screen TVs. What will they tell you? Five years. 
it's a five-year TV. In five years, you're going to need a new one. And, and we accept that. You know, we, 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 we just throw them away and we, we go get another one. Things are more expensive, but now they're, they're disposable. And if we're not careful, we may make the mistake of believing and treating people as though they were disposable also. So in the first parable, we have a man who has 100 sheep. He loses one. <laughs> Big deal, I've still got 99. You know, I'm still ahead. No, he, he goes searching for that one lost sheep. And he's not going to quit until he finds it. You've got a woman with 10 silver coins, each coin worth a day's wages. She loses one. Ah, no big deal, I still got nine. No, she, she goes searching because these things have value and they are worth searching for. These parables teach us not just about the condition of the lost. We know that they are lost. But the parables also teach us about our condition. We are incomplete without them. It's not just, it's not just that they're missing out on us because we're awesome and they should be here. It's that we're missing out on them. You know, there are people in our community who need Jesus. That is true. That's always true. And, and we need to search for them. We need to seek them. We need to save them. We can't treat them as though they're disposable. Because it's not just that they need Jesus, it's that we need them. We need them to be a part of us. We can't treat them as though they're disposable, as though they're worthless. They are of great worth. They are worth searching for. I think about some of you that I've seen come to Christ over the last several years. And, and I think about some who have, who have joined us and, and what you've brought to this group and, and how you have enriched this group. And there are so many great people. There's so many great stories. There are so many great experiences that we have. And I think every now and then, you know, there are more people out there with great stories. There are more people out there that, uh, that still need to experience this. And it makes me wonder, who's next? You know, one day, I want their stories to include how they met Jesus, how they gave their lives to Him. And I want that story to include us and the part that we played in that. I think that's why in both of these parables, we see that they don't give up in searching for the lost sheep or the lost coin. I think... I think when we truly value the lost around us, we will see the need for persistence. We'll see the persistence in our search for them. Let me, let's go back and look at those first two verses again because it's so important that we set the stage for these parables. He says in verses 1 and 2, is what, what Luke writes, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I read that and I wonder, how did the Pharisees and the scribes know that Jesus was receiving sinners? How did He know that tax collectors and sinners were, were eating with Him? How did they know that this, this was happening? They knew because they were watching. <laughs> the Pharisees had this habit. They wouldn't go to the parties but they would stand on the outside of the parties and they would watch the parties. and They would watch who was there and they would just kind of circle and, and watch the party and they would pay attention to who was doing what. And if somebody did something that looked a little off, looked like it might have been a sin, they would count that. They would pay attention to that. They were watching this person over here doing this and that. They would count the sins. They would count the violations and they would make sure that they knew what was going on at that party and who was doing what to whom? Do you know anybody like that? 
That's a Pharisee. That's what Pharisees do. That's what they did. And so Jesus, in, this, in His parable, He points out their hypocrisy. You notice in verse 4, when He tells the parable of the lost sheep, in verse 4, He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. You know, Pharisee, that wasn't a job. That was a position. You had a job. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. He was also a tent maker. There were Pharisees that were shepherds. And what Paul is pointing out is you value your sheep more than you value your people. You value that animal more than you value someone created in the image of God. So the man in the parable, the sheep is missing. The shepherd goes out until he finds it. Failure is not an option. As far as it depends on him, that sheep will not remain lost. And then there's the woman with the coin. She, she has ten coins, each worth a day's wages, and one of them is missing. So she lights a lamp. She lights a lamp in her house thinking that maybe the light from the lamp the shininess from the metal, it will glint off the light and, and she'll be able to find it. Then she gets out the broom and she starts sweeping the house, thinking that maybe if she drags the broom over the coin, she will hear the metal against the rock on the floor and then she will be able to find the coin. She doesn't give up until she finds the coin. There are people in our world, there are people in our community, there are people in Kansas they, they want a place where they can belong. They want a place to call home. They want a place where they're welcome, where they're received, where, they're, where they know that they're important. And one of the challenges that churches have today is providing a place like that. And we, we've got some great things going on here that provide value and, and show people how important they are. Every week we show a group of high school kids just how important they are by, by providing a meal for them. We have Bible studies, wonderful things happening with the ladies' Bible studies. We have... We have parties. There's times when we just, we just have parties. And, and the thing is, there are some of the things that we do here that probably cause some people to wonder, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Why are they using the facility that way? You know, we have social events. We have parties. We, we let families and other groups use the facility. But it's essential that we remember it's not about you and me. It's about lighting that lamp and looking for the lost. It's about providing ways to, to reach them. And it's essential that we try everything. It's essential that we don't give up. People say persistence. Persistence pays off, right? Persistence pays off. And you, you see that in these parables. It's more than just about what's finding loss, though. In these parables, and, and for us, it also has to be about the joy of discovery. The joy of discovering what's lost. There's an element to the setting of this passage that I doubt we've paid enough attention to. One more time, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Again, they are upset that He is receiving, that He's welcoming sinners and eating with them. But one thing that you need to understand, and I think you probably know this instinctively, is it was a lot more fun to eat with sinners than to eat with Pharisees. You know that, right? It's a lot more fun to eat with a sinner than to eat with a Pharisee. If you had invited a Pharisee to, his par to your party, if you invited a Pharisee, if you received a Pharisee into your home and 
to come to a party, he's going to have questions. He's going to ask you, did you tithe this food? Did you take 10% of this pizza and give it to the church? <laughs> did you take 10% of this and, and give it back to the temple? Because you, you have to tithe your food. If you don't tithe your food, then I can't eat it. Did you buy this meat at the market down the street where they have meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Because if this meat was sacrificed to idols, I can't eat it. I'm on a no-sacrifice to idols diet. I can't do that. Uh, did you, did, you didn't touch anything dead this week, did you? Because if you touch something dead, I can't eat with you. Because then I will be unclean, you're unclean, I can't do that. And then, when you served them the drink, when they, you served them their, their wine, they would take the cup of wine and they would lay cheesecloth over the top of it and they would strain the wine just in case there was a gnat, a gnat, in the wine. <laughs> Because they couldn't eat that. that. That would be unclean. And so they would string. They, they treated you like there was something wrong with you. Now, when you would eat with a sinner instead, you're just there to eat. You're there to eat. You're there to drink. You're there to have a good time. It's a real party. There is something so incredibly refreshing about being around people who have been recipients of amazing grace. There is something so refreshing about being around people who know that they have received God's grace. They're not worried about keeping the rules. They're not worried about other people keeping the rules. They have come to understand the value of every person, even the lost, and they know how to celebrate. They know how to party. They know how to love. And it's significant that both of these parables end in joy, end in celebration. They end with a party. The lost is found. I always read these parables. Whenever I think about these parables, I always think about them taking place at night. You guys do that? Oh, in my head, it's always at night. You know, the, the shepherd has put the sheep out and you know, he counts them one last time and one's missing. And so it's night and he goes out looking. He's got a torch and he's looking all over for, the, for that one lost sheep. It's dark and then he returns and it says he calls his neighbors. Probably not like this, but he calls his neighbors. He calls his friends. He says, come, I found my sheep. And the woman, you know, she... I think we can assume it's at night. She lights a lamp. You know, it's dark anyway. She's, she's looking and looking for that coin. She finds the lost coin and she calls her neighbors and says, come and, and rejoice with me and celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. I always wonder about that parable. How much did that party cost her? She was looking for a lost coin. She's got 10 days wages saved up. And now she's, she's lost one. She finds it. She has a party. How much did she spend on that party? How much did that cost her? But it's worth it to her because she has something to celebrate and something to share with her friends and says, we are going to celebrate it. It doesn't matter. Night or day, phone the neighbors, wake the kids, we're going to have a party. In both cases, the celebration on earth is a reflection of the celebration in heaven. In both cases, the celebration on earth is a reflection of the celebration in heaven. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, the end of the, the parable of the sheep. He says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in, in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, there's no such thing. We're all, we're all sinners. We all need repentance. But you notice in verse 7, it's future tense. 
he says there will be more rejoicing in heaven. I want you to think about that. The things that you do today, the people that you invite, the people that you receive, the people that you welcome, the people that you celebrate with, the people that you share Jesus with, the way you welcome them, the way you treat them, changes the way we are going to celebrate when we get to heaven. Because it changes who we get to celebrate with. And then verse 10. Verse 10 is not in future tense. Verse 10 is in present tense. Verse 10 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner's one sinner who repents. You know, it was a, it was a sin. It is a sin to misuse the name of God. You know that, right? You don't misuse the name of God. That's in the top ten, right? You don't do that. You don't misuse the name of God. And so for the Pharisees, for the Jews, for, the, for all the Jews, they had this practice. They would not use the name of God. They would not speak the name of God because there might be a chance that they would use it wrong. And so instead of referring to God as, as Yahweh or Jehovah, they had all of these other euphemisms for who God was. And they would say things like, He... He who sits enthroned in heaven. And everybody knew what you're talking about, God. He who sits enthroned in heaven. He for whom the earth is a footstool. And that's, well, you're obviously talking about God. You're just not using His name. Or they would say, He who sits enthroned in the presence of the angels. And there's only one who sits enthroned in the presence of the angels, and that is God Himself. So in this verse, in verse 10, who's rejoicing? It doesn't say the angels rejoice. We love to tell people that. You know, when you give your life to Christ, the angels rejoice. I'm sure they do, but that's not what it says. It says there is, there is joy before the angels of God. There is joy in the presence of the angels. It's not the angels rejoicing. It is God rejoicing when the lost come home. And one last thing I don't want you to miss. Jesus is our shepherd, isn't He? He says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You look at that parable about the sheep, and you look at the parable of the coin, and you realize Jesus is already searching for that which is lost. Jesus is already searching for the lost. He has taken the initiative. It's not our own efforts that we go looking for the lost. It's not our own efforts. It's not our own plan. It's not our own program. Kansas Christian Church has a program to search for the lost. You know, it, it's not something that we do on our own. This is us doing what Jesus already does. This is us working with Him. This is us doing His will. And you know He is going to bless that. You know if we do His will, the lost will be found. Jesus calls us to value people because God values because the state of being lost does not change the value of that which is lost. You know what I would love? I would love if there were people who grumbled about who we welcomed into this church. I would love if there were people who grumbled about who we ate with. If there were people who grumbled about who we welcomed here, who we received here. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be what, what Jesus wants? They grumbled about the people He hung out with. Wouldn't that be great if they grumbled about the people that we hung out with? Wouldn't that mean that our hearts were more and more like the, hearts, like the heart of Jesus? You probably noticed 
there's one more parable here in this chapter. One more parable after the parable of the sheep, after the parable of the coin. There's one more parable. It's a parable of, that you're very familiar with. It's not the parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin. It's the parable of the lost son. The parable of the prodigal son. You know the story. The son rejects his father. He takes his inheritance and he leaves and he squanders all that he has. He squanders his life. He loses everything. In the end, he comes home. And the father, unlike the shepherd, the father has not gone out searching for him. The father, unlike the woman with the lost coin, he hasn't lit a lamp and started sweeping, wondering where his son is. But the father in that parable is watching. And he is waiting. And he is hoping. And the father never stops hoping and planning to receive his son when his son comes home. And when he receives his son back, they have a party. He kills the fatted calf and they celebrate. Why? As he says to his older son, he says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Maybe today, it's not a lost lamb. Maybe today, it's not a lost coin. Maybe today, you realize it's, it's a lost you. It's you that is lost. The first thing that you need to know is that your heavenly Father is watching. And your heavenly Father is waiting. The other thing that you need to know is there is a room full of people here who know just how valuable you are. And they are ready to celebrate with you when you come home. They are ready to receive you and welcome you. They are ready to celebrate your value, your worth. They are ready to welcome you. They are even ready to eat with you. They are especially ready to eat with you. Not just in there at the potluck, but here at the table. When we remember just how valuable God finds us all. So valuable that He would give His Son. He would allow His body to be broken. He would allow His his blood to be shed. The table is ready. And the call is to come home. Let's stand together.